Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. As we talk about the brand new Penn State Baron Center for Family Business, and we want to welcome to the microphone here uh, on a repeat performance, Dr. Greg Philbeck. He's the director of the Black School of Business at Penn State Barron. Dr. Philbeck, good to see you, sir. Uh, Good to see you, Joel, and thank you so much for having us on. You got it. Also with us is Dr. Chris Harbin. He's the Towdy Chair of Entrepreneurship and Family Business and the Associate Director of the Center for Family Business. Dr. Harbin, thanks so much for joining us. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks a lot, Joel. And we've got Doug Neckers. He's the CEO of Maplevale Farms in Falconer, New York. Doug, thanks so much for joining us as well. Great to be here, Joel. All righty. Uh, we, we, uh, we're a family show which is very appropriate for this topic. So we like to get origin stories. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Harbin. How did you come up and how did you end up at Barron eventually? I mean, where'd well, you grow uh, up? What's your hometown and so on? I, I'm an Ohioan, so don't hold that against me. Nope. Um, Cleveland Browns fans, so all my students don't like to hear that, but I remind them all the time. Uh, I grew up in a town called Lorraine, Ohio. It's about 40 miles um, east of Cleveland. I'm sorry, west of Cleveland. And uh, yeah, I came to Barron. It's now just over four years ago, and it's been it's been wonderful. And uh, your background and degrees are in. So I have uh, my undergrad degree. Re- believe it or not, is in radio TV production. But oh my, snap! Have, That's amazing. <laughs> I spent a little time on radio, um, and then I did an MBA in organizational leadership and international business, and my doctorate's in strategic leadership. Um, so that's a kind of a combination of strategy uh, with the, the element of leadership as well. And a little bit of mixtapes mixed in there, right? I mean, <laughs> Not anymore, but, but if you ask me about 80s music, we could talk for a long time. I bet. I bet. How about you, Doug? Uh, again, uh, uh, grow up in Falconer or, you know, where's the family homestead? Yeah. So, so I'm a third generation family member in the family business. My grandfather started the business uh, years ago. We have on the side of our trucks 1951, but it was probably before that. Um, my father joined his father in 1957, uh, or 59, I think it was, uh, and eventually bought out his father. And uh, so, but I've, I've been with the business. I actually left the family business twice and have come back. So I've been there over three stints, I guess. Wow. Um, so our so I, I actually live in Cory, Pennsylvania. Okay. So we, we Did had you go to Cory High or or no? I went to Climber Central School. Climber Central, town. sure. Yeah. Yes. Very uh, little. And any undergrad? Did you did you go off to school at all? Or I went for a couple of years um, to Fredonia State College, mm-hmm. but I didn't get a degree or anything. And then I've taken uh, a lot of courses after that, and but more in music. So. <laughs> oh really? That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. Fredonia State is a music school for sure, right? Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. We're going to get back to the to the the story of the family business in a second, but I want to kind of have Dr. Philbeck kind of set the stage here uh, because you referred to this. I think one of the last times we talked to you, Dr. Philbeck, about um, about you know when we're talking about the Erie economy and uh, you know those fundamental planks. Of, of what keeps us going here, family business is really significant here in this region. Absolutely. And so 
thank you again for uh, allowing us to talk about our brand new Center for Family Business. We are so excited uh, about this new initiative from the Black School of Business. So Joel, what we know is that uh, family businesses are the backbone of not only our regional economy, uh, but the US economy as well. They account for about 90% of all businesses and about 50% of, of our uh, gross national product associated uh, with output is associated uh, coming from family businesses. And we all know too well the problems that have occurred in some of the smaller communities uh, in Northwest Pennsylvania when these very uh, big supporters of the community and a big uh, uh, service uh, that they provide in terms of employment, when we see them uh, essentially sell out to other organizations that dismantle them and leave these communities uh, much worse off as a result of their departure because they are the backbone of many of these smaller communities. So our uh, goal, our mission uh, with the Center for Family Business is to provide a center that we can have programs that are specifically dedicated uh, to the needs of family businesses, uh, all the way from topics related to succession planning, to estate planning, to the unique psychological uh, relationships that exist as you look at not only the relationships that exist in the family business among family members, but then they go home and they interact on a personal basis as well. So this uh, center will work with family businesses throughout the region, and it's the only center for family business uh, here in Northwest Pennsylvania. And we're, again, we believe that this is a needed resource and will complement uh, the great work that's taking place across many other organizations uh, in this region that also help family businesses, but this will be specifically dedicated to issues related to family business. So there, there, I think the way I want to attack this is to kind of get the symptoms. Let's, let's do some diagnostics, and then we could talk about some solutions. So let's go to Dr. Harbin for a second here, and let's talk about the symptoms. It, um, one that just occurs to me, uh, other than what uh, Dr. Philbeck was saying, is um, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of churn that's in the current economy. And it makes me wonder if uh, big corporations that have huge R&D and they have lawyers and they have uh, all kinds of resources available to them that are not available to the mom and pops. And with the churn of change, is that the greatest existential threat for family business? I don't think it is. I okay. mean, you know, it depends on you know, it depends on the business and the industry because we can get really deep into different industries have different things. But I think the biggest issue really is the interpersonal, the family dynamics. So you know, Greg, Dr. Greg was talking about ninety percent of the businesses are family businesses. One thing to that we see as being a big problem is seventy percent of family businesses don't make it to the second generation. So Doug is unique already mm -hmm. among family businesses because a lot of times they just don't have anyone else to take over. And only 10% survive to the third generation. Really don't think that's necessarily about R&D because there's a lot of uh, opportunities for smaller businesses to uh, to engage with things like our Center for Innovation, you know, that we, the the, uh, the Beehive, or, uh, you know, maybe that's something that Greg could talk a little bit more about, not my area of expertise, but I don't think it's necessarily that 
that corporations are coming in and putting pressure on them is just that the corporations, the big corporations have an opportunity to pick them up when they start falling apart. They're falling apart not because of the big businesses. So it's basically the next generation just isn't interested in doing what dad or mom are doing. Is that what it sounds like? It may be that. It may be that mom and dad really didn't plan. Well, because there's some generational issues too. Sometimes you have businesses that were founded by grandfather and grandmother and they really don't want to talk to anyone. It's private. So there's some cultural issues, generational cultural issues. Doug could probably speak to that, um, you know, more personally. But, you know, my wife and I have some personal um, issues with that, too. We've seen families, because of the business pressures, fall apart. Wow. So it's either the business falls apart or the family falls apart. So unlike a traditional business, family business has kind of two-pronged pressures to deal with. And so at the center, we're looking at ways of handling both. Number one, can we help them be a stronger business, period? Also, how do we help them be a, be- a stronger family business? Those, those unique dynamics that are, that are put on top of those businesses because they are family. I got to ask, Dr. Philbeck, uh, are, we, are we calling in consults from the sociology and the psychology department here? Because a lot of, you know, if we're talking about family dynamics, that's a whole other uh, science well, I think that's one part uh, of certainly we want to address those inner dynamics that can exist within a family business caused by the complexity of the relationships. Uh, but uh, what we uh, recognize with this, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I served as the associate director for the Center for Family Business at the University of Toledo back in the 1990s. And one of the things that I did, and one of the things I would think we could replicate here as well, we had opportunities for grants for faculty to be able to work within family businesses. And one of the grants that I did, I'm certified in the Myers-Briggs type indicator, and I did work in conflict management, team building, and family businesses. So uh, sometimes it is just a matter of being able to kind of talk through personality differences or even similarities uh, that can exist. And, And to Chris's point, Uh, You know, it's not like these family businesses are falling apart. They're very, very competitive. They're backbone of our economy. But one of the concerns that often arises is dad or grandpa is so busy working in the business. The thought of transition is something that, you know, he or she wants to get to one day and then you wake up and the the window for being able to do that you know you have uh, folks die or or whatnot and and you're not able to carry that out so it's the ability to pre-plan for these things and yes sometimes you have to go outside the family we have some wonderful examples of family businesses in these region where non-family members have taken over where esops have been formed but it's the ability to plan and there may be that there are multiple family members that are ready to step up just making sure we engage in that uh, planning process early enough so that you can have smooth transition. Doug Neckers, he's the CEO of Maplevale Farms in Falconer and uh, uh, living in Cory. And uh, Doug, Maplevale, we see the trucks on the roads all over the place. A very successful business. Talk about uh, what drove you to get involved and maybe a little bit about your story, because you said uh, it, it was kind of like a Godfather three moment. Just when you thought you were out, they they grabbed you back in uh, and you get back to running the the uh, running the business again. Yeah, well, we we have such an excellent team of associates, so it's uh, it's 
It takes all of us working together. I'm just so thankful to have them. Uh, even in the break, as we're discussing here, you're, you're describing family businesses to a T. Uh, why I decided to get involved in the Barron Center for Family Businesses, we're a member of a co-op. Uh, it's uh, the largest co-op, the largest food co-op in the nation. And we've seen so many of the members of the co-op, just like us, who who don't have a secession plan in place. Maybe they don't have, maybe they were grooming someone to take over the business and that person decided, you know what, I don't wanna do this anymore. And then they leave the business. Now they think their only option is that either a family member runs a business or you have to sell it. But that's not the only option. There are so many other great options. There are uh, putting in place uh, board of directors, actually hiring as, as Greg and Chris were talking about hiring a president. And, and there are some great examples of that working well. Um, leadership development, when you do have family members who are uh, willing and want to take over the, the business, to leadership development to, to make sure that they're ready to be able to take over the business, um, culture uh, and communication so that uh, both family members and non-family non members thrive in this environment. So it's just such a, it's a great, it's such a great opportunity. And, um, and so that's why I'm, I volunteered with the Center for Family Business is just, uh, I just, I just feel like it's, it's a way that the, the prosperity can be released upon an entire region. You know, if we, if we can give other alternatives besides just family member run it or sell it, family businesses that, you know, how many more in, uh, jobs will be in this area 10 years from now. So you, there really you, hasn't been. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you think about your your uh, sector, and I don't I don't know a ton about uh, commercial food, but uh, I know Cisco's out there, right? There are some mm -hmm. big, big names. Is from, from your point of view, is there a lot of pressure to sell? Is, are the, is the money dangled in front of guys like you? Well, I think as, as it goes through succeeding generations and it, it, there's, there's not a pressure to sell unless there isn't somebody to run the business. And then when that happens and you may have 10 or 12 or 15 stockholders by the shareholders by that time, you know, by the third or fourth generation, you know, it just kind of whittles down and, and, and they're like, I don't want to come back and run the business or that, you know, uh, something like that. So, uh, then they then they decide to sell and people like who you mentioned Cisco are are more than willing to buy up companies but I mean, nine times out of ten they will close them down within three to six months and disassemble take <clears throat> keep the business and but move it elsewhere into their existing warehouses. I got to ask you then. So what was your thinking uh, as you entered into the 2020s now and especially how crazy it is in the last. 18 months or so to really stay focused on your core competencies and maybe uh, uh, keep your um, keep your market share and maybe even grow it uh, during these crazy times. Well, I have to say when it looked like the bottom was falling out of the world, uh, that it definitely uh, leaned upon God. You know, I'm a, I'm, I definitely have faith. And um, but at, at those times, there wasn't a lot of other people to lean on, you know, but um um, yeah, with all of your restaurants closing or, or going all to uh, takeout, I mean, you were selling a lot more styrofoam, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, 
So the the industry has rebounded quite rapidly. Yes. The greatest thing, the greatest challenges that our restaurants face right now is getting enough help. Yes. So so many of them uh, they, they they haven't opened up full hours yet, um, and and so that's that's a challenge for them. But are you able to? I mean. Uh, are you able to, to to keep to your corporate values of of trying to retain your people and and keep things going and maybe even expand market share and using this time as uh, as as opportunity? Well, we've certainly looked at trying to as to become as efficient as we can, but we probably have about all the business we can handle right now. So we're not really looking to expand uh, because this is a challenging time. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dr. Philbeck, weigh in on this. The the, the idea of uh, uh, of what Doug uh, is encountering here with massive amounts of change, uh, and uh, that that I would imagine throws a lot of family businesses off that maybe don't have the values and the groundedness that Maple Vale has. Well, I think that you you really I don't know that you would see significant differences between family businesses and non-family businesses in terms of trying to ad- address the issues that face us today. Uh, at the same time, the culture associated with family businesses and their commitment to the communities, something that, you know, the biggest donors to communities are are the locally run and family run businesses. And so I would say that their commitment to stand behind the employees, I mean, research confirms this, uh, actually makes them a much more stable place during these troubling times because it's their friends and neighbors that are working in this business. It's not some uh, third party that, you know, is a nameless face that's out there. And so, it, quite frankly, what I think saves these communities during troubled times are the family businesses that are operating and are so committed to making sure that these communities stay strong. Uh, Dr. Harbin, can you... Ref- um- can you explain uh, something that Doug referenced to that, that once it gets down to that third and fourth generation, we saw it. Uh, we saw it in the, frankly, in the newspaper business here locally, where uh, again uh, everything was changed. Uh, we were third or fourth generation in, and uh, the the board of directors decides to sell to the larger organization. That's there's a lot of pressure there, isn't there? There is, but I, I wouldn't want to use the newspaper uh, industry as an example. There's other Probably. pressures that were, that were on Absolutely. top of that other Absolutely. than other things. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes with a family business, they don't think that there's other options. So one of the things we're doing with the center is trying to show family businesses, here are some other options that you might not have considered. For example, a friend of mine, and I think you know Greg knows them too, a Spangler candy company here just about 20 minutes from my house here in Ohio, uh, they made dumb, dumb uh, suckers. So people should be familiar with them. They're a multi-generational family business and they, and they've been able to stay a family business by hiring a non-family president. So sometimes there's these options where you say, okay, the family, no one's really interested in running the company anymore, but the family stays on the board and the family stays owners of, of the company and they hire someone to do the day-to-day activity. A lot of times family businesses don't even think about that. So they get to that third generation and that third generation is so far removed from when it was created. They're not they're not really connected with the the product, the story. And they say, you know what, it's just easier for us to sell and let's just wipe our hands of it. 
know, that's where we want to try to come in and say, look, there are other options. And, and but the time to think about those options is at that first generation and se second generation. Oh, Before wow. it gets down hey, Joel, to the just to jump in on that, I mean, there's some great 20 examples. 20 seconds, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, okay, there's some great examples here locally. You look at Larson Techs, they have a, a family business culture, but they have a non-family business leader. And Onyx uh, recently went to an ESOP model. So there are other options that are available. And, mm -hmm. a, and again, the key uh, the, for the greater good of the community is – these family businesses stay here. They sow into uh, what we're trying to do here as a region. With us are Dr. Greg Philbeck. He's the director of the Black School of Business at Penn State Barron. Dr. Chris Harbin, he's the Towdy Chair of Entrepreneurship and Family Business and the Associate Director of the Center for Family Business. And Doug Neckers is the CEO of Maplevale Farms in Falconer, and he's also the chair of the Center's Advisory Board. And so, uh, Doug, can you talk about uh, some of the other organizations that are represented on the advisory board? Uh, yeah, so we have like a dozen family businesses, uh, and they're they're all you know, as Chris and Greg were saying, that family businesses are generally very well run, and I mean, family businesses can get to be large scale. Like Johnson and Johnson, I think, is still a family business. Sure. Wow. Well, um, and but I was uh, I was thinking, um, you know, of, of just explaining the Center for Family Business a little bit is. Is uh, it really is centered on the the succession planning, leadership development, uh, setting up advisory boards, board of directors, and communication and culture. Um, and there are some gr other great organizations in the city that that uh, deal with the actual mechanics of business. We're really not in that that line. What we're really going for is for the uh, will provide long term viability for family businesses in approximately eighty miles of. Barron College, or, or 100 miles, 120 miles. Other, others, you mentioned earlier, the other centers for family businesses, there isn't one in Cleveland. There isn't one in Buffalo. There is one at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, and then we know that there's one at the University of Toledo. There's one at the University of Cincinnati. So really this whole area is wide open. And if, what is there probably 2000 family businesses here. I know the University of Toledo has around 250 members. University of Cincinnati, 400. So we we would like to be at you know you know 200 250 members at some point of, of businesses that you know that that have a a, a large economic um, um, effect on the region. And so if we can help them maintain their strength and to be able to to move to succeeding generations or to set up alternative means of of keeping the business going. Uh, I mean, these businesses, they know how to do business. Uh, they just sometimes they, they lack in, in the uh, how do you keep the business long term? Uh, Dr. Harbin, I want you to weigh in. Talk about the types of businesses. Again, our minds immediately go to manufacturing, but it's more than that. I'm thinking that even in healthcare, you have multi-generational business, don't you? Yeah, I was just thinking that um, I, in my experiences, when I talk to people about family businesses, if I just talk to, you know, friends of mine, family of my own, they tend to think not manufacturing at first. They think restaurants, um, the service industries that they interact with all the time because they they know the family, they know the family members that are working with them. But it's, it's really, there really isn't a, an industry that family business isn't involved in. Mm -hmm. They're involved in every industry, really. 
Um, even nonprofits. You could even have generational nonprofits going on, can't you? And a, and a nonprofit is a business, right? Absolutely, so it's yeah. just a matter of what are they doing with the revenue? That's the, really the only difference. So I think for the listeners out there, you know, as you go about your day doing business, probably eight out of the 10 businesses that you interact with somehow have some form of family uh, family structure, you know, that, that that's running that business or started that business. It could be, you know, something as simple as a seamstress that you uh, go to all the way up to, you know, the auto mechanic or the everyone thinks about the farmer or you're buying manufactured goods. And this probably made uh, made by a family business at some point. Uh, Dr. Philbeck, uh, it occurs to me uh, that sometimes there's tragedy that hits a family business where they didn't have the time to work on um, the structure, and maybe the maybe the founder uh, has a heart attack, or maybe there's a, a sudden loss there. Um, what do you do in that regard? Well, that's what we want to prevent, Joel. Yes. Uh, through the Center for Family Business, our goal is to be able to address issues such as these and, and other issues unique to family business. So we want to get those conversations going earlier. And we want to do that through the collective wisdom of the members that will make up the center, uh, as well as organizations that support these family businesses. Uh, so one of the programs we did a couple of years ago, as we were anticipating moving towards the development of a center, is we had a discussion on the subject of succession planning. And uh, I will tell you, one of the things that really helped launch the Center for Family Business at the University of Toledo was a panel discussion they did on succession planning. And they had a very small mom and pop operation. They also had a very large company uh, that literally was one of the region's uh, giants. And what they found is they're facing the same type of wow. issues uh, as a part of that structure. So it's very powerful. And a lot of times these family business owners, uh, they are working so hard uh, that they sometimes don't know what they don't know. Uh, and so we want to bring uh, enlightenment to those different issues and the resources that are available to solve and help them solve problems that they face as they operate their business. Doug, I have to ask you again, in the course of everyday working and, and of course, uh, in your interactions with other family businesses, are you seeing that uh, many of these CEOs and many of these senior leaders would have the bandwidth to go and get some, um, get some help, get some uh, training. Uh, are they willing to go to a two-day seminar or something like that? Absolutely. In fact, they're enthusiastic about it. It's great that if they if they knew what they didn't know, they would absolutely uh, go in that direction. I was going to mention a couple of other things that we're not just for family business. We could also be for a private business. Say if. You know, someone is a company's locally controlled and operated, but maybe they have a 25% share in a company and outside investors own the other 75%. They still control where that company is going to be located and they still control, you know, the, the, the future of that company. And we want them to be a part of this business also. Uh, we're going to be a safe harbor organization where we're not going to be handing out cards. They're not going to, they're not going to come and get sold to. Although we are going to have sponsors and we'll be rubbing shoulders with sponsors. You know, there'll be banks and uh, human res resource companies and, and, and all sorts of things like that. Uh, but it, it will, will uh, it'll be a safe place. And one of the, uh, one of the, the great features we're going to have is round tables. So uh, where there'll be a round table will be made up of eight to 10 family business 
members and uh, and we'll we'll meet uh, say ten times a year, say ten months a year. Maybe we'll take summers off. One group will, or another will take holidays off. Uh, and then that those meetings may last from two to four hours. And then we'll share on like subjects. Uh, and uh, in fact, Chris is be heading the roundtables up in the in the near term here. So we're real excited about the roundtables also. And so our whole networking and our sphere of of other people will find out that we're not alone as family businesses. And that means so much also that you know we'll be able to ask questions of others. And so it's gonna be a, a great community as well. Dr. Philbeck, I want you to weigh in on the opportunities for other members, especially your undergrads and graduate students from the Black School of Business to integrate into this Center for Family Business. Oh, that is such a great question. And that is actually, part of the role that Chris Harbin will play as the associate director. So we will have a director uh, that is running the center, interfacing with the businesses and, and handling the day-to-day -day operations. Uh, but Chris Harbin will be focusing on the academic side of the house. That is the ability to uh, make students aware of all the great opportunities that exist in working for a family business, curricular related issues, uh, the ability to uh, facilitate opportunities for internships and, and jobs associated with not only our students, but internships for faculty. As I mentioned, I did one of those. It was extremely helpful for me. So we'll be building out that infrastructure as a part of our undergraduate curriculum, the Black School of Business. And it's just a win-win across the board. Getting students involved in the center activities, uh, I think is gonna be uh, certainly a very high priority of what we're doing with this new center. Dr. Harbin, do you feel that uh, students coming up are, you know, prone to, hey, give a family business a shot and not just make their way to the coasts? Well, sure. And many of them already work for family businesses or have relationships in family businesses. So one of the things we'll be doing is in existing courses, we're going to start integrating more of a family business curriculum into existing courses. The other thing that we have to look at is how do we provide some academic support for our business members of the center? So one of the things we'll do is create um, certificate programs. So, you know, like Doug was talking with these peer groups or roundtables, you know, that's a monthly peer-to-peer -peer sharing opportunity, but we want to take advantage of the resources that Penn State brings to the table yeah. by helping develop um, certificate programs that our members can participate in. And it might be a certificate program in succession planning, in, um, you know, in business planning, you know, starting a family business. However, I mean, th these are things that we'll be looking at as we go. A lot of it's going to be driven by the needs and, and, and requests of our members, too. This is something that we really look at an organic nature. This is not, you know, Penn State Baron saying, here's what you need to know. It's more of us listening to our members and saying, okay, how do we provide you the resources that you are telling us you need? How do we help solve those issues? How do we help put you in a position to be able to make your business, your family business more successful for a longer term? And Joel, let me just add, that's such a great point Chris just made. Uh, in fact, getting the center off the ground, one of the first things we've done is survey the family businesses in this region, and we've asked them, what is it that you uh, are, consider among the top issues? And that's how we're lining up our programs uh, as we start programs on a regular basis in January of 2022. Dr. Harbin, are you noticing different approaches based on generations 
where these family businesses are at? Because, again, a lot of talk about secession, and of course there is because we've got boomers that are aging out and, you know, uh, uh, millennials and Xers that are – or Zers that are picking up, right? But and we're trying to bridge – we want to try to bridge those gaps too. But there's also think- new businesses that are, that are coming up by these millennials that uh, – you know, I, I've got a friend who's a social media uh, guy. He's got he's got a, a three member shop already. I mean, like, I mean, it's boom. Uh, there's a lot of growth happening in certain sectors. So, uh, is that is there a place for for them for those growing mom pops? Oh, absolutely. One of the things we talked about is with these peer groups, maybe positioning some of the first generation, very very new businesses with other very new businesses so that they can be sharing and building up a network. What we find is that people that have built a network of support around themselves, they tend to be a lot more successful. So if I'm trying to go and be an island, I'm not going to be near as successful. We're creating more than islands. We're creating essentially business continents where you've got people being able to talk to other people. Hey, this is something I faced today. Have you faced this? We're going to do that within the peer groups. We're going to do that within programming. We're going to do that within um, newsletters and all our communications with our members. But it's also important for Gen 1 to talk to Gen 2, to talk to Gen 3 and understand each other because those brand new businesses that you were talking about, Joel, they may hire someone from another generation. And how do they make that? How do they make the most of it? How do they learn to communicate with someone? It's a boom. You know, if you've got a Gen Zer running the business and they hire a t- talented boomer, are they going to be able to deal with that? That might be one of those things that we have to help provide resources for our members for. Doug, I'm interested in, in hearing how the generations work at Maplevale as far as even amongst your staff and, and uh, your um, your management team. Uh, uh, how do you ensure that communication is really working, even when some people are talking totally differently uh, because of, uh, of their age group or, or cohort, as it were? I think one thing is uh, to have an environment where you you, en- you encourage others and that you know you're not uh, uh, punishing them for making mistakes. You know that that you you know maybe you do make a mistake. You say, well, how do we keep from making that again or something? But uh, I mean, we're all human. And and um, but I think just a, a place of um, you know Ashley Walters wrote a book of a thing is called Grit and Grace. Uh, how she tra- helped transformed her culture but grace is a big part of that and just a place uh you mentioned the you know your your friends there that are in their 50s and you know sometimes the you know the the gen one the generation one has to be willing to step back and allow gen two to make some mistakes you know but they're also going to make a lot of great decisions so i think just the place of 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 grace Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I, again, I mean, to me, grace is a huge leadership attribute, right? The idea of of open-handedness and, ha- I mean, uh, if somebody, you know, I was a leader at 28, uh, a CEO at 28. If somebody didn't let me fail, then mm-hmm. I would have I would have been out of it long, long time ago. And I think um, this is, I, I, I see the beauty of this center Really expanding the minds of people, that, especially those those Gen One entrepreneurs, who who are going to be a little bit of a different breed than Gen Two and Gen Three, right? Are we acknowledging this, Doctor Philbeck, that there's definitely different approaches uh, generationally to 
to the business in in and of itself. That that kid is not the the founder. It's a different deal, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I think each generation brings their own unique sets of gifts uh, to the table. I mean, I, I look at this the current generation coming through, and I'm like blown away by their technological skills. We have much to learn. I think we have much to learn from each other. There's no doubt about it. All right, we got to bring this plane in for a landing. Got about two and a half minutes with our friends from the Barron Center for Family Business. <laughs> Uh, there, there is a cost to joining, but uh, you're actually, um, you know, uh, waiving it through the end of 2021. 500 bucks. Talk about being a member. Whoever wants to take this, maybe Dr. Harbin, you take that one. Well, what we're doing is we're going to offer the opportunity to go ahead and join as a member, 500 dollars. But then that's your that's your 2022 dues. So you gotcha. get to participate through the rest of 2021. Now that includes, we're going to already start these peer groups. We have a targeted start date of September 21st. So that's that's coming up. We're already gonna have about 10 people, 10 businesses involved in that. We've got an event planned for October. So there's things happening in the center now that if you're considering it, it makes sense to go ahead and join now because you're gonna be able to take advantage of those events through the end of the year before your actual membership starts in 2022. Do you feel that uh, there's uh, there's going to be uh, that kind of community that that CEOs are going to be texting each other and uh, hey, I got a problem or or like a listserv or kind of thing. I think that's that's old technology, but you know what I'm saying. You know, maybe it's a Facebook Messenger group of these different cohorts, right? One of the things we found at a recent social event that we had in Lawrence Park was that's already starting to happen. Mm -hmm. With our members, they're already starting to talk to each other as they get to know each other and say, hey, look, this is great. Let me get your number. It could be text. It could be uh, on a group message uh, platform like GroupMe. We're going to encourage that. I mean, that's the thing here is it's the wisdom is not coming from Penn State. The wisdom is coming from our members. We're going to provide guidance and access to resources, some structure, um, the ability to do you know to get access to resources that these business members aren't going to have time. We're going to make it easier for them to find those resources, and and absolutely, it's already happening with our members. I'll, I'll bring the last question to Doug Neckers from Maplevale. Doug, if this would have existed 20 years ago, do you think that um, there would have been a little less stress over some big major decisions that you guys have faced over the years? I think if this would have exist, existed 20 years ago, my father would have been a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there, there it is, right? It's, it's the mm-hmm. idea that it exists now we could take advantage of this as, as organizations and, and have, have more res- like you're building in resiliency, Dr. Philbeck, aren't you? I mean, this is all about, um, because I love the, I love the end game of this thing is that if we can keep our family business going and staying local, the commitment to the community that uh, we talk a lot about the greater good, the common good, it's a, uh, you know, it's a very old approach uh, in philosophy, but the common good increases locally if these family businesses stay intact and are resilient. Very well said. Exactly. I mean, the people uh, I, I, I'm not from Erie, uh, but the Erie region, northwest Pennsylvania, I am blown away by the commitment that people from this region have for this region and wanting it to succeed and thrive. And we are so excited uh, to be a partner with that process through the Center for Family Business at Penn State Barron. 
Dr. Greg Philbick, Dr. Chris Harbin, and Doug Neckers, thank you guys so, so much for bringing this to our attention. And uh, uh, Godspeed with all the work that you're doing there. Thank you, Joel. Thank Thank you, you. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.